Hi everyone, I'm Thea Sanders, CEO and founder of the Naya Beauty app. Welcome to Naya Unfiltered, where I bring topics for your consideration that are impactful, insightful, and informative. I hope that you find these episodes interesting or at least entertaining. Enjoy our show. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me again on Naya Unfiltered. You know, a few episodes ago, we talked about venture capitalists, VC, and I promised that I would do an episode going into a little bit more. I mentioned that I would have an episode on Glossier, Wing, and Away. While I was doing my research and looking at these female founders, I realized something. I saw the pressures that they faced. I mean, there was a pressure cooker environment when dealing with VCs because VCs want their investment and then some, and they want it fast. But in my research, I found a bigger issue and I'm calling it a girl boss issue. That term that gave such an empowering feeling that females could take control of their destiny and have it all and rule the world was so powerful, but it became a dual-edged sword that backfired and brought criticism and backlash. So as promised, I did speak about Glossier and this episode will cover Wing and Away. Just in case you don't know about Wing and Away, these are two companies that are founded by females which received funding from venture capitalists. So see if you can see a running theme with all three companies. First, I want to mention the term girl boss. Now, this is a phrase, girl boss, that you've probably heard. Uh, it was first coined by Sophia Amorosa, the founder of Nasty Gal. After writing her memoir, Hashtag Girl Boss, that singular term exploded in the millennial girl power movement. You've heard terms like she-eo, boss babe, and she-boss. These were cool girls who took their careers and businesses in their own hands and burst through the glass ceiling. For those of you who don't know about Nasty Gal, here's a short history. Okay, so Nasty Gal is a rags-to-riches story for Sophia Amrosen. Uh, she created this in her living room. There's even a Netflix show that was inspired by her story. So she went from selling used clothing on eBay to opening her own brick-and-mortar store, and she eventually grew it so big that she received $100 million in funding, which she has been quoted as saying was the biggest mistake. After six years, she filed for bankruptcy and had to sell the company for $20 million in 2016. But against this backdrop, the girl boss phenomenon was born. And this inspired women to be independent, business women, and ultimately a girl boss. One future girl boss was Audrey Gelman. Audrey came from a world of politics. She even worked for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. It was at this time, working for Hillary, while she was running in between meetings from one Starbucks to another to charge her phone and then stand in long lines for the bathroom, only to find it dirty and the floor stained with pee, that she began to formulate the idea of a co-working space for women. She envisioned a place that was cozy and comfortable, where women could not only work, but they could network. She was thinking of a woman's utopia, and she wished for a private woman's club with comfy chairs and luxurious bathrooms, free of pee on the toilet or on the floor. It sounds like heaven, like a little spa. So while working for Hillary's campaign, Audrey started thinking that the timing was perfect. We would soon have a female president. So having a woman's social club just made sense. And that's how Wing was born. I mean, hadn't there been private clubs for men for decades? Of course, we know how the election went. But in 2015, Audrey forged ahead and secured funding from a venture capital firm, of course. And in their first round of fundraising, they received $8 million. And in their second round, they received $32 million from none other but from WeWork, another co-working space. By 2019, they had raised over $117 million. 
So what was Wing? Wing was a co-working space that catered specifically to women. If you've never heard of it, think WeWork except for women. Instead of the beer and alcohol-fueled happy hours, think of coffee and female bonding and soft music. I mean, they're still around today, and I checked out their website. I've never actually visited a Wing office space, but the website makes it look so calm and inviting. It's where a woman would want to go to network and find friends at the same time. But this beauty is not cheap. In order to access the space, you have to be a member, and a paying member and the annual fees range from approximately $1,000 to $3,000 per year. Beauty is personal and should be individualized. That's why I created the Naya Beauty app. Naya Beauty app allows one-on-one -on -one makeup tutorials with vetted makeup artists that are virtual. A user can have a virtual lesson with any of the professional makeup artists that are listed on the app. Just download the app and answer a brief questionnaire so that you can be matched with a Naya Pro and start learning. This is the opportunity to ask all the questions you've wanted to ask. Your Naya Pro can even reevaluate your makeup to help you refresh your look. You can find the Naya Beauty app on your favorite app store. Download now to receive $5 off your first session. Okay, when you hear about it on paper, it sounds wonderful. A space for women to go and work and connect and network. There's an air of luxury around it. They have a bistro, a library. Bathrooms have luxury products. The surroundings are pink and they have calming soft colors and it feels safe with no judgment. But put into practice in real life, it's a totally different story. What started off as girly millennial pink surroundings with feminist vibes and inclusivity turned into a sorority with mean girl references. First, let's talk about the membership. So one had to apply and be vetted to be accepted into the wing, the co-working space. Previous members complained that the application process is pretty rigorous and sometimes your application would be ignored unless you name dropped someone. Then the idea of inclusivity was kind of scoffed at when men were not included. I mean, this is all about inclusivity, right? And already they're excluding people and they're vetting people and you have to name drop. So how inclusive is it? And finally, they had to basically include men after a gender discrimination lawsuit was filed against them. Second, let's talk about the price tag. And it's hefty. The optics of the inclusivity, and I'm using quotes, seemed rather selective as having a type of member to be accepted. And that pointed towards wealth. Critics argued that the sentiment of the founders who was espousing empowerment of women were actually keeping the power structure constant. Many of the applicants members were white, wealthy women, or at least women who could afford the price of the membership. But even with those drawbacks, it was still really popular and everyone wants to be attached to the next cool thing. And it was cool. In two years, they had expanded to 11 locations, spreading from the West Coast to the East Coast and even as going as far as London, with plans for more locations across the United States and Canada. And if you can imagine this, it was supposed to be a salon where members could exchange ideas and have enlightened discussions. But of course, that's not what happened. I mean, the backlash is, is fierce. That's, that's not what was, it was at all. So here comes that term, problematic. And just like Glossier, an Instagram account pushed all the happenings from the shadows into the light for everyone to see. And soon Wing was not seen as trying to solve a problem, but actually being part of the problem, if not being the problem itself. And just like Glossier, it came from employees of the Wing. 
Employees describe the deep divide between members and staff. Several staffers recounted stories of how when they were hired, they were given assurances of upward mobility and chances to be promoted, but those opportunities never surfaced. If anything, the staffers who were oftentimes black would be in a room filled with wealthy white women and they would fall victim to passive aggressive acts of racism. For example, a staffer could be on a break and members would treat the administrative staffer as a janitor, like pick up my plates. And there seemed to be no protection for the staffers from the belligerence and at times racist act of the members. Employees complained of acts of entitlement from not only members, but also from upper management. Entitlement from the members was shown as mistreating employees and treating them as their personal servants. And there was mistreatment from the head of the company, Audrey herself. There were allegations of disrespect, microaggressions against employees, and that although Audrey claims that she welcomes feedback from employees, if there was a criticism expressed by an employee, that employee would face the threat of a write-up or not being placed on the schedule for a shift. Another complaint from staff were oftentimes black or of color. The promises of promotions that were mentioned in their interview would never be mentioned again. And that left the staff feeling like they were props and photo ops that inaccurately reflected the position of the company on empowerment, feminism, inclusivity, and equality. And of course, whenever there's a PR crisis, um, there has to be an apology. So when faced with these allegations and negative feedback, Audrey came out with an article on Fast Company, uh, the blog blaming the fantasy of the girl boss era. Here comes that girl boss term again. She stated that there is a myth of a female founder being able to have it all, you know, be a boss, experience hyper growth in a fast paced world of startups and VC, and also have a family. And she stated that there is also this fear of failure of having the pressure of the VC for faster growth, being part of the Silicon Valley group and having the pressure of this growth and speed might take away from the ideal of growing a community. So she acknowledged her failures and that although she began this company to be inclusive and empowering women and to be diversified and have a diversified group of women in there, by looking at her members, she acknowledged that she didn't do a very good job. And she didn't do a good job in recruiting her upper management because all of the faces in upper management were white. And so she's basically perpetuating and continuing the problem that she was trying to solve. Remember the inclusivity, the empowerment of women and women of all colors. Now, whenever there's a PR crisis, the thing to do is to come out with an apology. And that is exactly what Audrey did. She wrote an article for Fast Company and in it, she placed blame on the girl boss myth and also the VC culture. She stated that the girl boss myth fantasizes that a woman can have it all, be a boss, experience hyper growth, be empathetic and have a family. She also talked about the pressure of existing in the fast paced world of the VCs and having this expectation of growth year after year being placed on a founder and the fear of failing is, it, it, it's just impossible. And by focusing on trying to feed the beast of the VCs, the idea of growing a community just falls by the wayside. So she acknowledges her failures and that although she began this company to be inclusive and empowering women and to bring about inclusivity and bring that diverse group together, by looking at her members, she realizes that she failed. She didn't do a good job and she didn't do a good job in recruiting because all of the faces in upper management were white. So basically she's perpetuating and continuing the problem that she was trying to solve.
Audrey's apology was written in February of 2020. And by June of that same year, Audrey had stepped down as CEO of The Wing. Now, it's not known as to whether or not she stepped down voluntarily or if the VCs pressured her like the board of directors. But we do know that usually when there is a problematic CEO, companies and, and boards want to distance themselves from that. They want to divorce themselves from the problem. And if the CEO is the problem, then unfortunately, the CEO has to be cut loose. I mean, it's really unfortunate because... I'm sure she worked really hard to create something and to breathe life into it. And she got people to believe in her. And so now it is in existence. And then because of missteps and bad judgment, she has to leave her baby, the one that she created. And a lot of times that will happen, especially when you're dealing with other people's money, like we saw in Glossier. There is no forgiveness because this is a business. So due to COVID and because of the problematic nature of Wing and the bad PR that they received, they closed a lot of locations and the majority of the shares of Wing have been snapped up by a Swiss investor. And there are still locations that are open, but a lot have shuttered. And Audrey herself, well, she's apparently in New York where she's from, and she's scaled back a bit and has opened a cottage core store. Okay, now let's switch over to Away, the luggage company. You could say that the two companies share similar stories, insensitive and harsh female founders trying to exemplify the girl boss culture in a male-dominated VC world. You could also say that these two founders share a similar story, originating with all the best of intentions, the message gets lost, and then microaggressions, mean girl clicks, Employee mistreatment and subtle shades of racism stains the startup. Away began back in 2015 when two women met while working at another startup, Warby Parker, the DTC eyewear company. Jen Rubio and Steph Corey couldn't have come from different backgrounds. Jen was born in the Philippines and often jokingly refers to her first merger and acquisition deal when she bought another kid's lemonade stand when she was a child. After college, she interned at Johnson & Johnson, then worked for Neutrogena before heading over to Warby Parker to be their head of social media. There she met Steph, who was the head of supply chain. Steph, on the other hand, was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. She had an Ivy School education and came from a very wealthy family. In fact, her family home in which she was raised was apparently, okay, get this, 55,000 square feet. And it had an indoor pool and three dining rooms. I'm sorry, I don't understand the three dining rooms, but okay, let's think about it. Now I get it. One for breakfast, one for lunch, and one for dinner, obviously, duh. Jen and Steph wanted to create more than a luggage company. Instead, a travel company is what they wanted. Since coming straight from the world of DTC, they stuck to the same business model and even received their first run of funding from the same source as Glossier and Warby Parker. They received funding from Forerunner, the DTC specialty VC. Try saying that three times. Away's mission was to sell first-class luxury luggage at coach prices, but it was more than just luggage. They wanted to embody the entire experience of travel. Ecstatic about. After creating Away, Jen became the head of branding while Steph became the CEO. And because of Jen's experience as the head of social media, Jen knew how to create that aspirational lifestyle that was splashed 
all over social media. So you could always find her showcasing a glamorous lifestyle, jet-setting across the globe, and whereas Jen hardly had any interaction with the employees, Steph was the complete opposite. Steph was at the office grinding away and had constant contact with the staff. One might say maybe even too much contact. Even though Steph came from a privileged background, no one could accuse her of being a slacker. She oftentimes stayed up late, working at like one or three in the morning, but Steph was a slacker. I know that sounds kind of weird because I just said she wasn't, but let me explain. When I say she was a slacker, I don't mean in the traditional sense of not doing work and easing by, but a slacker in the sense of a prolific user of the app Slack, the messaging app that many companies use to communicate to employees internally. And that is where the trouble begins for Away and their problematic, quote unquote, CEO. Side note on Slack. Slack is a workplace collaboration tool that is used by companies to communicate. They have channels like chat rooms that can be categorized by topics and employees can enter and get updated on that subject matter. Away was a huge believer of the use of Slack and it didn't hurt that Jen was actually engaged to the CEO and founder of Slack. Jen and Steph had a company rule that all communication within the company had to be held on Slack and it was for work purposes only. They had a ban on emailing colleagues or having private chats or direct messages. So the year was around 2015 and around that time, there was a movement to get away from work colleagues emailing each other. Jen and Steph also wanted to have absolute transparency and felt that emails and private messages oftentimes left out underrepresented employees from discussions or opportunities of social engagements. Like maybe somebody would get invited to lunch or happy hour and therefore would feel left out. So in order to prevent this, the company rule of all communication having to be on the public Slack channels was born. Now on paper, this sounds absolutely amazing. I can see the intent that everyone is included on every discussion, absolute transparency. But somewhere along the line, someone broke that cardinal rule and the aftermath caused the beginnings of rumblings and low morale within the organization. Okay, so for the most part, most people abided by this rule, but there was a small segment of the company, specifically LGBTQ plus and people of color who wanted their own space to vent or commiserate with one another. Someone created a private channel called Hot Topics and staff would post acts of non-wokeness, of, of instances of microaggression and insensitivities that maybe other staffers did. And it seemed pretty harmless and it was just meant to be a type of support group. But when Steph found out, all hell broke loose. When Steph discovered the existence of this private group, Hot Topics, she called each and every person into her office and summarily fired them. She accused the members of the group of being discriminatory, of being bullies and racist. And due to a violation of the company policy, staff were terminated. I mean, the staff thought that they might get a slap on the wrist or a write-up, but not the extreme act of termination. Afterwards, workers were careful of their communications on Slack, but unfortunately, Steph was not. Remember, Away believed in complete transparency. I mean, that could be a good thing and a bad thing. So when Steph was upset or agitated, she would take to Slack to express her disappointment or anger, and she wouldn't hold back. If she believed that a specific person was at fault, she let them know it. I mean, she let everybody know it. She would call that person out to the public, chastise them or criticize them for all of the company to see. Employees spoke about the humiliation and bullying they often felt from Steph when she was angry, and she vented on Slack, and all eyes could see this. Steph wouldn't just use Slack to communicate company messages or updates 
or humiliation or complaints, but she would also use it as a manipulation tactic. She had really high expectations for employees to basically follow her work ethic. If she pulled late-nighters, she expected her staff to pull late-nighters, and they would have to forgo their vacation time. If she was up late at night, she would often post a message in Slack and would be totally pissed if no one answered. One time she posted a picture of her computer in bed and stated that she was still working and she asked others to post their computer screens. She might have been trying to be inspiring, but it was one in the morning. So the use of Slack was a major source of stress for the staff at Away, but that wasn't the worst of it. And again, Steph was the center of it all. Away was experiencing huge growth and was becoming hugely popular among millennial travelers. And in 2018, for the holiday season, Away was set to launch a new line and there were problems. It all stemmed from delays and there were lots of complaints, lots of customer complaints. And Away had this policy where they believed in having all customer related issues being completely resolved by the end of the day. So if you sent in a complaint by the end of that day, it was supposed to be resolved. And that was a huge task for the two people who were assigned to handle customer complaints. And these two people would have to feel not only 40 calls per day each, but they also had to answer over 100 emails. And it was their job to resolve all of these issues by the end of the day. And Steph would take the concept of undercover boss to a new level. She was known for calling into the customer service line just to see how fast the staff would answer the phones. And she would also pop in to see what the queue was like for customer complaints and how fast complaints were being resolved. As a consumer, this level of attention to detail sounds awesome, but hearing what was going on behind the scenes kind of sounds barbaric. Let me give you an example. Okay, like I said, Steph would oftentimes pop in and check out the customer complaints. And if they were not resolved to her satisfaction, she would rail against the team, and of course on Slack, even if it was three in the morning. And then she declared that no team member could request vacation leave or work from home unless the customer complaints were resolved. I read how some people had to cancel their Christmas plans just because of this new rule and they hadn't taken a vacation in over a year. And for those who had requested time off and it was previously reproved, if they didn't remove that request, Steph would bully them and say that, it was, oh, it's obvious that they don't care about customer satisfaction. That's not their priority. And then the staff member would have to guiltily take that request off because if they didn't, it seemed like they didn't embody the company's core values. That's a guilt tactic. That's manipulation. So the company, which embodied and portrayed aspirational lifestyles and freedom, had become a hellhole of a place to work. Employee morale was low, and when an article in Verge exposed Steph's toxic workplace behavior in 2019, within 24 hours, she had posted an apology. But it was already too late, because within days, the board was searching for a new CEO. Away had become a $1 billion company, and the bad PR was messing with people's money, and distance was the answer. Remember, it was VC-funded. So another female founder had succumbed to the girl boss mantra and had bit the dust. In 2020, Steph stepped down from her role as CEO, but then came back, to only leave permanently later that year. And after searching for another CEO, Jen Rubio stepped into the CEO shoes in 2021 and is still there today. 
This episode has been longer than anticipated because the downward spiraling for these founders were so fascinating to me. I'm going to do a wrap up on the girl boss sunset in our next episode. So please join me next week when we revisit the stressors placed upon female founders who receive BC money and the toxic workplace that is created by the pressure of hyper growth and what happens to these problematic founders. Thanks for joining me, Thea Sanders, your host. This episode has been produced by Michaela Rogers. Be sure to turn on your notifications for future episode drops of Naya Unfiltered. And also don't forget to follow our social media pages at Naya Beauty App on TikTok and Instagram. See you next time.